everybody, welcome to the December 18th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Desuti. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for helping us kick off our 24th season. That's right. This is the very first episode of our 24th season right here in Colorado Inside Out, all made possible by, by our fans and viewers. Thank you very much for making it happen. Let's get started by getting a quick take on the Denver District Court Judge Candace Gurris overturning the conviction of Clarence Moses L., who was convicted of rape and assault in 1988. The judge ordered a new trial after another man confessed to the crime and DNA evidence was destroyed in the case by Denver police, despite another judge's order to maintain it. Patty Cahoon from Westward, you really can't, this looked like a, uh, uh, maybe a script from a movie or a Law and Order episode, but lo and behold, it's right here in the city of Denver. What did you think when you saw everything come out this week? Well, unfortunately, it's all too real. I was glad the judge made the decision. Now we'll find out if Mitch Morrissey is really going to take it back to trial or this man is finally freed. He has certainly served enough time. David Copel from Independence Institute and DU Law School, uh, one of our two esteemed lawyers at the table. Uh, was this a pretty epic uh, decision that we saw? Well, it was a great decision. I mean, he served more than enough time, 27 years for a crime he almost certainly didn't commit. Westward did a, a great story on this uh, this week. He was the victim was sexually assaulted by somebody, but she was quite drunk, had bad vision, wasn't wearing her glasses, and her identification of uh, Mr. Moses L., uh, who was her neighbor, was based on a dream she had. So you got somebody convicted on dream evidence. We had the rape kit that apparently nobody bothered to test, and then the Denver police destroy it. And the, the first time that came to court, the court said, well, that, that's true, but they didn't do it maliciously. It was just their sort of uh, incompetent management because they have a lot of evidence around and sometimes they accidentally destroy stuff even when they're not supposed to, but they didn't do it out of animus against him. Well, that tells you something about how well the Denver Police Department was being managed back then. And a horrible case and, and an example of how wrong it is for prosecutors to say, oh, anytime somebody says they've been raped, I always believe the victim, always believe the victim, always believe the victim. Well, that means you're going to believe false accusations based on a dream against an innocent man who ends up in jail for prison for a quarter century. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, do you smell another large settlement from the city of Denver taxpayers to pay again? Uh, we shall see. It's a, it's a great question. And the only thing wrong with the judge's decision here was that it was too late coming. Uh, and it, I think the case just uh, came before her, um, so I'm not blaming her for the tardiness. But uh, this thing should have unwound maybe a decade ago when, uh, as David and Patty pointed out, there started to be evidence and substantial and credible evidence that this was the wrong guy. Uh, and even at that point in time, he did another decade or thereabouts uh, behind bars. Uh, 
haven't figured out why Mitch Morrissey, current district attorney, has been so adamant in, in pushing against a new trial, in resisting the thought that uh, maybe they have the wrong guy here. He was not the original prosecutor, the original district attorney, but he's become very invested in keeping this guy behind bars. The burden will now be on, on Morrissey and his office to determine whether they want to retry the guy. And if there is any evidence, witnesses, victim, whatever, 25, 27 years later, around which to do a new trial. Lastly, uh, huge kudos to somebody who occasionally joins us at this table sitting where Penfield is sitting today, that being Susan Green, who way back when, uh, as a reporter at the Denver Post, first really worked this story in a multi-part series and has stayed on top of it now through the Colorado Independent. And as reference, Penfield Tate, uh, attorney with QTAC Rock, longtime state lawmaker, is the city of Denver going to be, whether it's a settlement or even some problems with the Hancock administration, going to see some ramifications from this? Because when you read this on paper, it looks like a big deal. And I think it is a big deal. I, I, I think this case sort of um, illustrates why people worry about the criminal justice system, why they worry about how what's going on in the Department of Safety. And I know we'll talk about that that more. And, and it also um, harkens back to, to the phrase, I can't remember who it's attributed to, about our justice system, better that a guilty man go free than an innocent man serve a day in jail. Here you've got an innocent man who spent 28 years in jail. I mean, he was 32 when he was convicted. And this looks like a situation where every conceivable thing that could have been done wrong was done wrong. The victim acknowledged being with the person who actually confessed to the crime 28 years ago that evening and two other men, none of whom was Mr. Moses L. Her identification was in a dream. They had a kit that could have been tested for DNA. And it's not just that their record keeping and their records management was bad. The box was marked, do not destroy. They threw it in a dumpster anyway. Then you had a series of DAs and other police officials who knew this, who kept pressing the prosecution. They knew there was somebody who was confessing to the crime way back when. They decided not to believe him. They knew the victim was in contact with the person who confessed. They decided not to believe her, but instead decided to believe her dream. And now, 28 years later, you know, the truth is coming out. This man's about to be exonerated. And you've got the current DA questioning whether, well, maybe we shouldn't just let him walk away this quickly. Maybe there's more to do here. I think we've done quite enough to Mr. Moses L. Um, we basically ruined his life. Uh, at 60, it's going to be tough for him to get a job and start over. So, yeah, the Hancock administration is going to have to deal with it. The only saving grace for them is none of this started on their watch. <laughs> They'll certainly be the ones uh, looking to finish it. Email threats of violence received by the Los Angeles School District caused an unprecedented shutdown of close to 1,000 schools on Tuesday, but were later deemed not credible. Meanwhile, here in Colorado, two teenage girls at Mountain Vista High School were arrested after a tip alerted authorities of intent to harm students and staff members. Petty, thank goodness we are talking about uh, not credible threats and things being caught ahead of time. We're not talking about tragedies being caused in either case. But we had things going on in Los Angeles. You had a similar situation, but they didn't closing schools in New York. Things right here in our backyard in Mountain Vista in the middle of Douglas County. Uh, so it, again, happen, could happen anywhere. What were, what were some of your thoughts when you saw some of these issues come down? Well, there are two very specific and very different uh, things that I've noticed here. One is 
do women really need that much equal time? What is it with these Colorado girls now getting into the, you know, they're trying to go join ISIS. We had the three teenagers on top of Shannon Conley. And now we have not just the threats in Douglas County, but in Mesa County, where a 13-year-old girl said she was going to go shoot up her school. We don't know the full details yet of what went on in Douglas County. They're juveniles. We don't know their names. We know one was in court yesterday. We don't know whether this was a politically motivated attack. We don't know if it, they weren't invited to homecoming. We don't know what it was. But we do know that it is becoming easier and easier to disrupt our daily lives. And that gets into the second issue, which is how terrorism, both homegrown and abroad, has changed. I heard an FBI agent talking about how now terrorism is crowdsourced. It's not like the old days of al-Qaeda, where they had operatives organizing people top-down. Now you send out a tweet, you put something on Facebook, and you basically say, go create chaos. And increasingly, we're seeing that that's what people are doing, whether they're politically motiva motivated, they're just crazy. And it's easy to create chaos because you call in a threat or you somehow come up with something that sounds scary enough that you're going to shut down a thousand schools. People are getting better at identifying which are real and which are not, but that is going to be a completely new art form and the kind of intelligence we really need to look at at the years ahead. David, do you see the situation where we're going to be prone to more overreactions, like maybe what people can accuse what happened in Los Angeles? Or is some, something of the warning system at least working, where somebody saw a text and, and said something, where at the very least, well, it, maybe we can't have those great Andy Griffith days of old, like when, when our innocence, when we had that, but at least folks are paying attention. It, it, do, you, do you see a silver lining here or an overreaction? Well, I, I think people speaking up when they see something is repeatedly saves lives. I mean, not just, at, at, as the Douglas County Sheriff said uh, this week, but a few weeks after the Columbine attacks, there were some students in Aurora who were planning a similar kind of thing, you know, because there is a huge copycat effect. And, and that was thwarted and turned out to be just a short story in the Denver Post of a few paragraphs uh, without even the perpetrator's names being, uh, would-be perpetrator's names mentioned. So absolutely people speaking up. And we see in, in San Bernardino the deadly effect of political correctness preventing people from speaking up. The, the next-door neighbor uh, saw a lot of suspicious stuff. Turned out it was uh, the terrorists manufacturing pipe bombs in their garage. But he didn't say anything because that would be politically incorrect and you're profiling and stuff. And you can go back to the 9-11 attacks where the security agent who let the leader Muhammad Atta on the plane said to himself, boy, if this, if this guy looks more like a Middle Eastern terrorist than anybody I've ever seen in my life, oh, but I'm not supposed to think things like that. So you have to speak up, and sometimes the people you speak up about are going to be uh, of Middle Eastern descent because they uh, are disproportionately involved in some types of terrorism. Eric, with, with sadly other tragedies to look to, I, I would imagine the tendency for a school district, whether it be as big as Los Angeles or even something like Jefferson County, the tendency to overreact is probably going to be the, the safety thing. Do you think we'll see more reactions like that rather than people uh, thinking that's not a big deal? I think you're going to see more superintendents or head of whatever entity it is, you know, pulling their nails out, trying to figure out how to handle this. I do not envy... The, the, the superintendent in Los Angeles and, and his people having to make that decision. I'm not sure what decision I would have made in that, in that case. 
it clearly seems it was an overreaction. I think it became obvious even before that school day was very far along, or non-school day, we'll say, that it was an overreaction, that this was not credible. But let's also not forget that uh, this was not only two weeks after San Bernardino, but that Los Angeles sits in that same basin, adjoins San Bernardino. So it's already a, a tinderbox of fear. Uh, and, and this is a fine line that we're going to have to walk as a country between not succumbing to fear or not letting fear rule our lives, but yet taking every reasonable precaution. And the, uh, the underscore needs to be on the word reasonableness. And those are not easy calls to make, and particularly not easy calls to make in real time. Pam, wrap it up for us. You have to applaud the Los Angeles school district officials because the bottom line is they would have never heard the end of it and we would have never forgiven them had the threat been credible and any kids would have been injured. So I'd rather see kids miss a day of school than see a bunch of kids killed. Uh, the other thing we have to ask ourselves is what's going on with our young folks? It, clearly, it doesn't appear the Los Angeles situation is attributable necessarily to the students, but the situation in Mountain Vista is and the situation on the West Slopes here in Colorado is what's happening with our young people that they're doing these sorts of things. And, and to David's point, we have to be vigilant. We all need to report. We all need to talk but I think Eric makes the right point, a reasonable basis for suspicion. We can't stereotype. My guess is the young girls in Douglas County are probably not of Middle Eastern extraction. My guess is the young woman on the West Slope is probably not of Middle Eastern extraction. It's, it's the behavior and things that people articulate that we need to be attuned to. And maybe the, the, the point that all of them are illustrating is that we're not paying close enough attention to our kids or to one another. We've become too, too disjointed and disconnected. The final GOP presidential debate of 2015 was held this week with two clear rivalries on display. Jeb Bush and Donald Trump spent a good deal of the time attacking one another, as did Senators Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. Uh, Dave, this is one of a long line of debates, and obviously the, the nominee doesn't come out of one debate in the middle of December, but from what we learned from this, what did you think? Well, I, I think we see, it was a very helpful debate, I, I think, for educating the American people about the choices they're going to be making. Um, and it got into, and Hugh Hewitt and the, the rest of the moderators, I think they were the best so far of all the, the debates about asking serious questions that brought out serious differences, including uh, a pretty thoughtful debate on both sides about whether we want regime change to get rid of Assad in Syria or not. Um, there's a pretty big difference between the parties in the sense that, well, not only on, the Republicans want to get their candidates out and shown to the public, whereas the Democratic National Committee is doing everything it can to make sure people don't watch. Uh, as, as a Bernie Sanders aide said, you know, why are we having this on Saturday night? Uh, you know, was Christmas Eve taken? <laughs> uh, you know, the DNC is in the tank for Hillary and is doing everything it can to minimize uh, any awareness of the potential alternatives uh, the Democratic voters have to her. And it's a difference between a party that's confident in its ideas and wants to share them versus one that is not. Uh, I think the most important single thing that came out of this for among a leading candidate is Donald Trump doesn't know what the nuclear triad is. Uh, you know, you don't have to know what the nuclear triad is unless you got the, you're going to have your finger on the button. And to be so incredibly clueless to not know that is another example of his extreme irresponsibility. 
but we, we, the voters are going to have the choice. President Obama hasn't ban bombed ISIS's oil fields and oil production facilities because he's worried about the environmental damage that it would cause. If you think the greatest threat to this country is climate change, there's one party for you. And if you think a much more serious threat that ought to be dealt with is ISIS and the Iranian nuclear bomb, there's another party for you. Eric, like I said before, we we're not going to decide the nominee from a December debate, but this is the last debate until January, so there's going to be some momentum out of here. Uh, your brief take of what you saw on at the debate. Oh, it's several takes, but let me try to go fast. One is there's much to be fearful of going back to our last round in this country. There's much to be taken seriously. The Obama foreign policy, you can't even find many Democrats these days to defend it or find it terribly resolute or terribly coherent. Yet the fact that you had all nine, not even to mention the undercard before the, the main debate, candidates beating up on it, just the totality of it made for a sort of a fearful evening where, uh, you know, everyone, I think, turned on the TV and immediately went and locked all the doors, uh, locked all the doors in the house. <laughs> Uh, what I found interesting is that there was a diversity of opinion, a substantial diversity of opinion on that stage. Unlike the Democratic Party, where you find very little diversity of opinion these days, there is a range of opinion on various serious issues within the Republican Party. Whether that will serve them well, ultimately come next November or not, remains to be seen. There's other kinds of diversity in the Republican Party that you don't see on the Democratic stage. Two of the mo foremost candidates now are of Cuban-American heritage. Ben Carson had his moment. He seems to be receding, but uh, African-American male. You have Carly Fiorina. So it's interesting that the party that is not usually associated with diversity is the more diverse party in terms of the presidential field these days, both in terms of uh, the, the composition of the candidates and ideological um, diversity, diversity of opinion. I think the debate... We have all these candidates. I think we're now 13 candidates or something like that, 14, because somebody didn't even qualify, didn't even have enough polling to make the undercard. And yet you keep thinking it's a big field, and it's really not that big a field. If this field is narrowing and narrowing very quickly, you know, Trump is certainly a part of it. The conversation, Cruz and Rubio. Bush had his best debate by far, but probably too little, too late. I think he is just pulling his hair out. He desperately wants that one-on-one -on -one showdown with Donald Trump. But every time, no matter the best lines he used, all seem to rebound to his disadvantage. Uh, we will see soon enough when voters start showing up in early February. But I think they'll, this is going to be a long process, and pretty quickly we'll have three or four tickets There'll be uh, the Trump ticket. There'll be the evangelical ticket. There'll be the more moderate mainstream ticket. There might be one more ticket. And then we'll see a long, drawn-out process between three or four candidates. Ben, we've seen a real horse race effect with the, 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 uh, the, the GOP primary. Has that been helpful overall, do you think, as, in their prospect of getting their nominee to the general election finish line? No, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I, and I have to confess, I prepared for this debate by <laughs> popping a bunch of popcorn and getting a cup of coffee because I knew it was going to be entertaining <laughs> and I wasn't disappointed. Um, in, in terms of what we learned from this debate, there are a couple things that occur to me. I, I saw one reporter describe the Republican GOP process as... Um, they were, they were describing the electorate as anxiety-riddled voters looking for the fiercest possible nominee. If that's true, people were more anxiety-riddled after watching that debate than they were prior to watching the debate. Um, 
I did think that the most interesting conversation was about the Assad regime and how you deal with Middle East factions, whether you support dictators and despots because you don't like the rebels or whether you support the rebels to overthrow them. And in that regard, someone who I don't think got a lot of credit for the, the depth and the substance of his experience was John Kasich, who I thought had some pretty interesting points um, given his perspective. And so, but he's sort of the moderate voice that I think is an outlier and may not well um, survive the process. And although everybody criticized President Obama, nobody talked about the fact he got bin Laden, he's gotten some other key figures involved in this terrorist undertaking. So it's not like he hasn't been doing anything, but it just shows the broad range of disagreement and the broad, you know, possible options um, that are out there. Um, and in terms of whether you have to understand the nuclear triad or not, I don't know if it matters. So long as you're a tough guy, it's, it's all good. <laughs> Apparently so. It does come down to toughness. Patty, uh, your, your reactions to what you saw at the debate? Well, first of all, David's a tough guy. We all know that. But I have to disagree with him on a couple points. One, it's not like debates in the past have been all that popular to watch. So you could put on the Democrats right before How the Grinch Stole Christmas uh, Sunday night prime viewing time, and people would not be watching the way they're watching the Republicans. And there is only one reason people are watching the Republicans the way they are. It's Trump, who is a TV personality. That's why people are interested. That's why we have this huge range of people watching. So I don't think if you could, you could put the DNC on at any time and people would not care that much. I also have to say, I don't think the Republican Party is all that confident in their position right now if they are having secret breakfast to decide what to do if they need to broker a convention. That does not sound like a party that is necessarily going to get behind the candidate. Between broker conventions, possible third-party bids, and everything else, uh, it uh, it does seem at least in flux. Uh, we we've had a, a chatty a few topics here, so let's get to our favorite part of the show, uh, disgrace of the week. And as always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. Well, a disgrace that is just breaking now in the news has been hinted at during the year, and we'll hear a lot about next year. Rocky Mountain Human Services, that is supposed to provide service for disabled, the people who really need our help. Um, we had a request by James Mejia when he changed positions in the, ca uh, in the city to do an audit. That audit just came out, and it is damning the amount of money they have billed. Not just the, it's not just going to be the city of Denver we're going to find, but for trips out of town, for their Costco cards, for their Internet at home, all money that should be going to help people who really need it. David. The socialist dictator tyrant Maduro in Venezuela and his party uh, attempting to hold on to power and violate the Constitution, and uh, notwithstanding uh, the Venezuelan people's overwhelming uh, election of a uh, pro-democracy uh, majority, uh, two-thirds majority in the Venezuelan legislature. The more things change, the more things yeah. seem to say the same. <laughs> Eric. I definitely identify with Patty's about the uh, Rocky Mountain Human Services and that, and, and that complete mess. How about the Denver Career Services Board? 
Uh, again, these are both headlines out of this morning's uh, Denver Post. Not necessarily a great day for the city of Denver on the front page of the paper. It is hard enough in, in this city to get appropriate police discipline, but when that discipline is meted out and richly deserved and richly earned, then you have the Career Services Board that just overturns it. This is the case of Officer Thomas Ford caught on camera walking up to a prisoner and just punching him, cold cocking him in the face. City fired him. Career Service Board said, no, you have to take him back. You have to give him back pay. Maybe we need to have a parade for him. I'm not quite sure. Um, everything we need to do for former Officer Ford, who's about to be, I guess, Officer Ford again. Uh, Michael Hancock needs to take control of this situation. If he needs to ask for some resignations or demand resignations from the Career Services Board, whatever it is, he needs to grab hold of this one. And for more on that, we're going to be covering that topic uh, as our Colorado Inside post-game element. That's our online exclusive uh, segment, so be sure to tune into that. I'm looking forward to some uh, insightful analysis on that one. Penn. I, I agree with Eric, but also I would say another disgrace in formation. If Mitch Morrissey forces Mr. Moses out to go through another trial after what he's been through over the last 28 years, that's indefensible. Mitch is a good guy. He's been a good DA. The DA's office is supposed to promote justice, not to be a source of exacting vengeance on people. Uh, to our second favorite part of the show, say something nice about somebody. Patty. Well, I'm going to say something nice about something, which is the Five Points Cultural Historic District. We, where this studio is located, we come up here every week and don't see a lot of change until the past year, and all of a sudden this area of Five Points is exploding. Five Points has such a rich cultural history, and I hope it is able to hang on to it. Fortunately, a lot of the new property owners are trying to restore things. We just saw the 715 Club around the corner is going to come back. They've reopened the doors that have been locked for 40 years. There really are wonderful, wonderful vestiges of Colorado's history here, and let's hope it is preserved. And Westward had a great piece about the uh, the brick wall that was exposed and the, the, the old painting they're yeah, going to keep. Yeah, 2801 Tremont. Very nice. Now Welton, sorry. <laughs> David. Don Morris, the new head of the Department of Human Services for the city of Denver, he was the guy who ordered the audit, which Patty was talking about, that exposed all this bad stuff and waste of money. Uh, he's, besides being a state senator, he's also been a candidate for mayor of Denver, and I think that when Denver comes around to look electing a new mayor, he's a guy who ought, ought to be under consideration. Eric. How about Christian McCaffrey, uh, a local boy, sophomore, I believe, only a college sophomore at Stanford, came in second in the Heisman Trophy, uh, Heisman Trophy voting. Uh, talk about good genes and a good family, and uh, good to see him do that, and here's to next year. Here, here. Penn. United States Marine Corps for their ongoing efforts, and again, the Toys for Tots program this year. Thank you for their work for kids, underprivileged kids in our community. Great to see that program year after year. Well, that is all the time we have for Color Inside Out uh, tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for our special look back at 2015, complete, and you're not going to want to miss this part, complete with our favorite holiday sweaters. And while we set the bar high pretty good last year, you're going to be uh, uh, very happy to tune in for this one. And on January 1st, we'll offer a look ahead special to 2016. There's plenty of uh, meat there between, I think there's going to be an election of some 
some sort or something like that. We're going to be uh, looking very forward to celebrating that with you on New Year's Day. And again, as I said before, as we're kicking off our 24th season here on Colorado Inside Out, I want to give a special thank you. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas uh, to all of our fans and viewers. We hear from you uh, quite often, and it's very exciting to do this program for so many folks who are obviously listening and supporting what we do. We just love getting around a table and chatting about this, but the fact there's folks out there that are uh, watching and supporting uh, really is fantastic, especially for now 24 years. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and on behalf of everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Right now we are setting our lights for Colorado Inside Out, our Friday show. Um, every person around the table gets a key light, a fill light, and a backlight. So the key light is at an angle on someone's face, and it's the, their main light. It gives us most of the brightness and the luminance of their face, and it's usually like at an angle. You know, so it'd be like hitting me at this side of the angle. When you light someone with a key light, uh, you're going to create shadows on the opposite side. So then we use a fill light to light the other side of their face. And the goal of the fill light is to be not as bright as the key, so you have a little bit of shadow and uh, keep it from being too flat. Which uh, adds up to about 1,500 watts worth of light on everybody's heads. <laughs> and we're just aiming the lights for, for the show, making sure everything looks good. And then the last light is the backlight, and the goal for the backlight is to create a rim around the shoulders and the head uh, to separate the person from the background. So the backlight, when it's done right, we should have a, a halo or a rim light around the back of the person uh, to separate them from the backdrop. We've got every position around the table lit. That's uh, 16 lights for all the people, and now we're going to light the backgrounds and the rest of the... We have backdrop lights, uh, which just give us a little something in the background to keep it from being totally dark and black. One of the biggest challenges for lights here is we have people sitting really close to each other. So when you're trying to do a key and a fill on one person, we're going to get spill onto the person sitting next to them. So we have to try and work with uh, getting the lights even and working on getting just a little bit of shadow, but not a whole lot of shadow on their face. If we get started late, we will have to just start the show and the EIC will have to work while we're in the show adjusting the lights and the cameras to tweak them that last couple notches to get them to look the best that they can. Kind of having fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs>